Hey everybody, Klaatu here. Look, I have been really busy this past week. Like, really busy. Um, at work, at the, the day job, the one that I get paid for, they, they've loaned me out to a different team than I'm normally on, and uh, I am writing a book. Uh, for new employees, essentially. The target is for the new people at the company, and it's an introduction to Linux. Mostly from a desktop perspective, but with just enough terminal, um, or command line, as they say, uh, per the style guide, um, just enough of the terminal to, to pique your interest. So it's, um, it's a funny book to be writing, and, I mean, it's, it's a fun book to be writing, but it's a little bit quirky because you really, really see the difference between, like, the state of Linux today. By which I mean, when you say, oh, can you teach someone how to use Linux, but focus on the desktop because that's what they'll mostly be using, then there's just not that much to write. You just, you, you just, there's so many things that you can just kind of say, um, you know, you open a file, you, you open it in a, an application, and then you click save when you're done. You know, I mean, there, there's just so many obvious things that as long as you have used a computer in the past decade, then you're fine. The, the, the exception there are the, the, the little details of like, well, okay, how exactly do I launch an application on GNOME Desktop? Which is actually not super intuitive, unfortunately. Like, the more I think about it, the more I realize this is completely obscure. Um, I mean, yeah, there's a button top left, which arguably is the first place, if you're reading a document that's written in English or any left-to-right language, that's the first place your eye should be looking. Of course, the, the reality of computer interfaces is, is different. That's not where we first look, uh, oftentimes. It's, it's the bottom left for some silly reason. So, or for a lot of people it is. So, you know, but, but so arguably top left activities button makes a lot of sense. But does that say to people, let's go here to open an application? I don't think it does. So there there are some details that are a little bit, a little bit, you know, they do require explanation. Obviously repetition. Repetition is great. People love reinforcement. So you tell a person how to you know, to go to the activities button in the top left and click it to enter the activities dashboard and then start typing the name of the application or go all the way down to the dock, which like, for some stupid reason, all the way down at the bottom. So your mouse is going from like the top left and then all the way down to the bottom to click that stupid little grid icon, which again, does not say to me, list all the applications, but I guess to some people it does. Um, and so you click on that, and then you get a list of all your applications, and you can scroll through them, and you start an application. And then uh, another one is like the settings, you know, system settings. That, um, I, don't, I don't know that, I don't know how other computer uh, programs, other operating systems do it. I haven't looked in such a long time, but I, I feel like the word control panel is is something that a lot of people kind of know, but maybe not so much anymore. I don't know. System preferences, of course, on Mac OS. So I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if system settings, however intuitive it sounds once you hear it, uh, I don't know if it's the default thing that what people would look for. But I mean, once once you introduce the concept, then then the person knows. Okay, there's a system settings. There's a place called system settings. I can go and get all the different system settings. So it is. It's turning into a, an exercise of stating the obvious, uh, preferably in as few words as possible. I like to be. Uh, I, I like to write 
fairly tersely. I, I, I don't believe anybody loves to read that much that you need to wax and wane poetically about anything, really. Just, just tell people the information in the present tense. Tell them specifically talk to them personally, get them going. So it's it's been a lot of fun, this project. Now, the terminal stuff, uh, again, kind of interestingly, because it is presumably such a, a new interface for these users, that has been, uh, I think, a lot more writing because I'm really trying to introduce the basic concepts and then build up upon them and, and get people comfortable enough in a terminal interface that they aren't afraid to explore it further. Right? They don't need to be experts by the end of the experience, but they shouldn't be afraid of it. So that's what I've been working on at the day job, and it has been all-consuming. Like, I have been writing for pretty much, I, I want to say eight hours a day on average, but it's it's actually more like 12 or 14. I, I've been writing a lot. So I haven't had a chance to look through any of the libraries on the list this week. And so this is a filler episode. So, but I, I do have a topic that I want to talk about, and it's a topic that I've been um, experimenting with, playing around with for um, months now. I, I feel like it's only been a couple of weeks, but it's actually been months. And the topic is Void Linux. Okay, so first of all, I'm talking about a different distribution, and I have been, I've, I'm on record several times now on this very show very recently, but also for, for a long time. I'm on record saying there are too many distributions, and I, I believe that, so why am I talking about another distribution? And, and not a very common distribution either. Um, in other words, I'm asking the question of, why would I say one thing but then do another? And, and yeah, that's troubling to me personally, because if I'm going to say there are too many distributions and we need to somehow magically focus Linux into a single sort of main branch and then just have diffs that you apply to the main branch to create functionally different distributions, then why encourage, uh, you know, the proliferation of distributions by talking about distributions? Well, I don't want to address any of that right now because that's not an interesting conversation to have at the front of an episode. Let's return to that topic after the coffee break when we're a little bit more relaxed. We got a good cup of coffee and and we'll just talk about that then. We'll mull that over a little bit after the coffee break. But for now, what I want to talk about is just Void Linux. So Void Linux is a distribution. It is its own distribution. It is not a fork of anything. And that's kind of an interesting aspect of Void just on its own. Uh, so, you know, like, to be clear, this this is this is Linux from scratch, not not Linux from scratch, like LFS, Linux from scratch.org or whatever it is. But this is not I mean, this is Linux built from the ground up. They took the kernel and they started assembling it from there. So this isn't a, a remix of Debian, it's not a remix of Fedora or anything else. It is its own thing. It is also focused on stability rather than being on the cutting edge. You install it once, ideally, and then you update routinely and safely. So it is a rolling release distro. The, 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 uh, the idea is that you, like they say, they in, you install it and then you just update on a, on a, you know, at your own pace. Uh, but, you know, I mean, you probably, I, I don't know, I haven't been running it long enough to test whether you can wait, I don't know, six years and then decide to suddenly do an update and expect everything to work. But 
at some kind of regulated pace you should be updating and and when you do that you can expect everything to continue to function another claim to fame that it makes is uh c library diversity this is so exciting oh my gosh um it's not really i don't care about this i mean i'm sure someone cares about this i do not care about this but void linux supports both the musl that's m-u-s L, I'm, I'm assuming you say it muscle, maybe it's muscle, uh, and the GNU libc libraries. And in fact, it patches incompatible software when necessary, and, and they say they work with upstream developers to improve the, quote, correctness and portability, close quote, of, of the code. I don't know what form that actually takes, but I mean, it's good that they're, it's, it's good that they're saying that. Now, I say I don't care about the C library diversity, and I don't. It doesn't matter to me. I don't have any problem with GNU libc. I don't have any problem with muscle. Like, as long as it runs C code, like, I'm happy. But I, I imagine that some people are very happy about that. But I think more importantly, I think what we all should really be excited about is that word right there, diversity. Like, that that's a really important concept. I mean, in lots of different contexts. But in this context of C library diversity, that's important. Because, I mean, you just never know. Life is change. And so, at some point, GNU libc could just stop being developed. Or, or it could start to atrophy. People could wander away from it. Like, we don't know what's going to happen next year. So, and it doesn't have to be based around a year either. Um, or muscle could go away. Or musl, however you say it, M-U-S-L. It, that could go away. Who knows? So, I mean, the the more sort of, the, the, the more foundational technology we are building up and maintaining, I think, the better for everyone. It's just a good backup to have. And that's exactly my feelings on, well, really on the distribution concept. And in fact, it's, it's exactly why I'm looking at Void Linux. Well, specifically, the reason I'm looking at Void Linux is because Deep Geek, a friend of mine uh, from old Hacker Public Radio days, um, he he told me about Void Linux and said that he was running it recently. He 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 used to be a Debian guy, but now he's he's been running Void Linux, and he 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 told me about it and sort of described it to me, and I thought, okay, well, this is actually sounding pretty interesting. So I grabbed an old laptop and installed Void Linux on it. Well, I say I installed Void Linux. I should, I should, I should clarify. I tried to install Void Linux. This is the, the first critique of Void Linux. Um, the install process, I didn't, I didn't love the install process. It wasn't horrible, and I got there in the end, but it, I'm not kidding, it took me like four or six tries to get it right. The, the problem was the bootloader. Uh, well, no, let me back up. The problem is that the install process is highly reliant upon you, the user, to figure out the partition scheme correctly. And I can respect that, I guess, but I also... I'm really bad at partitioning. Like, there's no other way to say it. I am bad at partitioning. I, I don't know what it is. I always second-guess myself. I get confused. I don't know if the partitions are supposed to be in different orders. I don't know how big they're supposed to be. I get nervous about not making the partition big enough. I, I live in fear of my slash boot being too small or slash boot slash EFI being too small. I mean, and that, I mean, that doesn't really have to be that big. So I, I, I'm, I'm really bad at partitioning, 
I'm not used to it still, which you'd think after way too long of using Linux, I would I would be comfortable with it, but I'm I'm not. So I, I don't love partitioning, and, and Void really wants you to be comfortable with partitioning. It is up to you. You you need to run CF disk or CG disk or whatever. You need to make your uh, your disk label or your partition table, whatever, and you need to create your partitions and then point Void Linux at them. And I felt like I did it correctly. That's the thing. I didn't go into this timidly thinking, oh my gosh, partitions, now I'm going to screw this up. I, I went into it thinking, partitions, yeah, I know how to do that. And I did it, and then the bootloader install failed. So I did it again, and the bootloader f install failed. And so I did it again, and the bootloader install failed. And so I did it again, and the bootloader install failed. So I did it again, and I think maybe by then, possibly, the bootloader install succeeded. But I, this is not a thing I would want to take to an install fest or to a friend's house and say, hey, no problem, we can get you up and running with Void Linux, give me an hour. Give me 15 minutes. Uh, Fedora, for instance, I mean, as a, as a complete 180, um, Fedora is... I mean, you can do that, honestly, no no kidding, in about a half an hour, maybe. I mean, it depends on whether you're migrating data over and stuff like that. But if, if you're not, if it's literally just popping in a thumb drive, rebooting, and then installing, I mean, you're, you're, you could be done in about 15 minutes. It's astonishing. And even Slackware, I feel like you can do that pretty quickly. I mean, yeah, you have to wait for all the packages to install, but the process is, is relatively straightforward. And I, I say that, I guess, now based on on a comparison with Void Linux. So, didn't love the install process. I think that could be better. I think there could be a, an easier method for that. Is it easy to make that easy? I don't know. I've never written an installer for an entire operating system. W would I love to see them rip off Slackware's installer? Yeah, yeah, that would be amazing. Okay, so that's that's the Void Linux install process. But I said just a, a couple of moments ago, I said one of the reasons I'm talking about Void Linux is because of this concept of, of technological diversity. And again, the word diversity is important in lots of different contexts. And I'm just, I'm speaking about, I'm not trying to appropriate it right now, I'm just speaking about it in technology terms. So, for, I mean, for the same reason that you want on your team at work, lots of different perspectives. Uh, that's what we want in our Linux distributions, right? We want lots of different angles to accomplish things from, so that should one fail, we have something else available to us. And to me, from my point of view, Void Linux is a really nice, there's no nice way to say it, I guess, but it's, it, there's a really, it's a really nice fallback or backup plan to Slackware Linux. And, and I say that, you know, and I, I don't love saying that because that just makes it just seem like Slackware is going to go away very soon. And I don't want Slackware to go away. And there's no real reasonable belief, or there's no reason to believe that Slackware is going to go away uh, at all. Like, Slackware is going very, very strong. But, I mean, like, like I said, life is change, and eventually people are going to have to stop doing what they are doing for whatever reason. And, and ideally, Slackware will then be passed over to people who, who want to continue it in the same, in the same way that it's been going. Um, whether that'll be possible or not is anybody's guess because I mean like right now it's it's created in a very specific way by and it's driven by one person Pat Volkerding and if if Slackware well I guess when Slackware eventually must be built by someone else for whatever reason uh, 
obviously then then that'll be different and, and maybe you know choices will have to be made i'm sure so what will those choices be i don't know but should slackware go away or should slackware stop serving me for some reason for whatever reason then it's kind of nice to know that void linux exists and and i'm really impressed with void linux and that's why i'm talking about it on this episode i'm not really trying to encourage anyone to go try Void Linux necessarily. I'm just saying I tried Void Linux and it's pretty cool. There are some things I don't like about it, like the installer that I just mentioned, but there are other things that I do like about it. For instance, run it. So run it is the init system for that that Void Linux uses. I, I don't want to say it's for Void Linux because that's that's not why it exists, but it does exist and uh, Void Linux uses it, and and you can find out more about uh, Run It on s uh, smarden.org. That's s m a r d e n dot org slash Run It. I'll try to remember to put that link in the show notes. It's an it's an init system, and so it does everything that you know an init system needs to do, which is start services and 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 then supervise those services as they run to some degree. Um, in practice, it feels very much like Slackware's. Uh, well, not very much. It feels familiar if you're used to Slackware's uh, BSD style init system. It it's got its own little command. Uh, it's SV like service SV uh, and you so you do SV up you know SSHD or whatever or SV down SSHD to turn SSH off SV restart blah SV status blah to get status on a, a service called blah so it it does have its 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 little its special little commands. Um, and it's got its own sort of infrastructure, so ever you know, all the scripts to start services are contained in slash etc slash run it slash run svdir. It looks like runsvdir, but it's yeah, run svdir. And that's how you create a service. Like if you've got a script or something, then you can create a sim link in etc slash etc slash sv slash service. You know the the service that you have. And you make a sim link from there to slash Etsy slash run it slash run SV dir slash default. And then that that service will run by default every time you boot. It, that, that service will be a default startup service. So it it's pretty straightforward. Um, I don't... I. I've been liking it. I, I mean, I haven't created my own services and, and really, really tested it out or anything, but um, it feels, like I say, it feels pretty familiar. It's kind of a, a very sort of hands-on method of, of, or it feels like it's hands-on. I mean, you know, it's funny because, like, what in its service doesn't feel hands-on in, in practice? Like, I know a lot of people say, oh, System D isn't hands-on. Yeah, yes, it is. You still have to create your unit files you still put them in a directory in slash Etsy. Like, you're, you're doing the same thing. You're writing the same script. It's not literally the same script. You're writing a script, and you're putting it into a configuration directory, and that's how it happens. And then you use some kind of command, whether it's system cuddle or SV, to bring the service up, to take it down, to restart it, to get its status. It's always the same. In fact, the least same is Slackware, which doesn't even, well, I guess it kind of, no, it doesn't really, I mean, there's no command really to get, to, to, to get a status of something. I mean, there are scripts that can, that can start things and stop things and give you a status of something, but, but there's no, like, centralized mechanism for that. I think of all this, of all the init systems, like Slackware is the, 
the most hands-on. So run it, 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 it splits the difference. It, it feels similar to Slackware in a way, um, but, but at the same time, it also feels very sort of structured and centralized and kind of like there is this, there is an application at play here. Something is actually making these things happen. Whereas on Slackware, it's just magical shell scripts um, that aren't magical. I shouldn't say magical at all. They're, they're shell scripts that you possibly have crafted lovingly yourself or they came with a package that someone else has lovingly crafted themselves. Um, but I, either way, like it's it's a it is run it is a an application that you can that you can use. Whereas Slackware, it just feels like you're just directly using the infrastructure. But but it is nice. Run it. I I, I have I don't believe I'd used a system with Run it. I I think I could be wrong, but I don't remember uh, using a. A, a Linux distribution that was actually using Runit. I've heard of Runit, and I keep meaning to try it out and experiment around with it, but I hadn't. I I didn't. I hadn't found anything that uses it. You know, kind of like by default, and and so I just haven't had the chance to try it. I mean, I could I could install it on Slackware if I wanted to. I mean, I've installed other init systems on Slackware before, so in fact, on this show, I've done that back in season ten, um, which no one saw because it was also it had a video component. Um, but run it, um, yeah, I, I I like it. I I would use it again. I have no, yeah, I like it. R- run it, two thumbs up. Okay, so the other big thing that you're gonna notice about Void, I guess, is its package manager which we should talk about after coffee. We have coffee. As I was uh, pouring my coffee and then enjoying the first couple of sips, those wonderful first couple of sips, um, I, I was thinking about sort of this concept of Linux distributions, as I as I do when I'm confronted with a, another Linux distribution. And I, I kind of was thinking that, you know, I often have said, like, we shouldn't have the 600 or 800 or, or as Void Linux says on their page, trillions of other Linux distributions that are just, you know, like, just a, a, a Ubuntu with a different desktop and a different wallpaper. Sometimes not even that, just a different wallpaper. Um, we shouldn't have those. We should have a Linux distribution that that all of us rank-and-file users can, should we choose to do so, create, like, uh, power packs for, or expansion packs, or whatever you would want to call them, where we just apply a layer of preferences. Like, ah. Uh, I don't like that wallpaper, let's do this wallpaper instead. I don't like that default set of applications, those aren't the apps I want. Here are the apps I need. Here's all the, you know, the, the, the multimedia production apps or whatever. Okay, my, great, now I've got my, my studio distribution of Linux, whatever. There should just be sort of layers applied to that, which, I mean, frankly, f- for, for the longest time, like, that's what I've been sort of modeling on slackermedia.info, my website about how to do multimedia on Slackware. It's, it isn't a distribution, it is a recipe to end up with 
a distribution that is highly tuned for multimedia, although frankly Linux is so darn good right now <laughs> that there's not a whole lot of tuning you need to do for it, but but Slacker Media still serves a purpose. It's got a lot of tutorials on there uh, about multimedia stuff. So that's that, that's kind of the model that I have for Slacker Media. It is, it is looking to a main branch, which is Slackware, and saying, hey, if you apply these things to the Slackware that you take out of the box, then you'll have this other thing. So I think that's the like the quote unquote right way of doing distributions. I think the, I mean, it's, that's the laborious way, like where you have to literally do all the work yourself. Um, I, the thing that I'm like in my, in this fantasy world, I'm envisioning there just being like, um, you know, a, a website, uh, distro dot, you know, distromaker.org or something, and you go there and you choose, uh, here's a, here's a studio distribution. Yeah, I'll, I'll download that. I'll apply it to the thing that I've just installed on my computer. And magically you've got your studio distribution, or here's my gaming one. I'll apply that. And magically you have your gaming distribution. Of course, that starts to get into the same problem that every, that, that we currently have, although I kind of feel like it's a little bit less of a problem now. It, for a while in the mid, maybe like, I don't know, 2009, 2010, 11, like I feel like there was this, there was a, a problem, you know, because you would see, oh, this is a production, a, a multimedia-centric distribution. Great. I want that. I'll download that. Oh, wait. Wait, I also want to play games. Uh, how do I how do I get both the studio distribution and the gaming distribution? How do I get those both? Well, you have to dual boot or 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 something, you know, or you just pick one and then you do the the legwork to install all the other. You know, so it's that's I don't know, that's awkward and 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 I think when you start dividing distributions by task, then you do run into that because very, very few of us do exactly one task in our lives. I do feel like the Fedora method of having install groups is not a horrible method. I, I quite like that. And again, Slacker Media kind of models itself after that. If you go to Slacker Media and you look around, you'll find a, a an install a queue file for like SBOPKG or uh, or anything that takes a queue file, which I think most of those package managers do now for Slackware. Um, and and you can just download the one that does just the audio stuff or just the video stuff or you can do the big one, which does the audio and video and, and graphics and, and so on. So the the, the task-based distribution model I don't think is necessarily the right way to go, ultimately. Yeah, so anyway, what's a distribution for? So I'm thinking about all that, and I'm thinking about Void, and you know, like, if, if Void is a little bit of an outlier, you know, like if there was this mythical fantasy world Linux main branch that everyone else just kind of applies diffs to in order to create their own quote-unquote distribution, then where, where, Where's the modularity for something like Void, which is using like Runit, which I mean, that's that's not just a new desktop and a different set of applications. Like that's that's a different init system. Like the first process that gets started after you boot your Linux, that that's different than it is on Slackware or Debian or Fedora or whatever OpenSUSE. Um, so where where does that how do you how do you just apply that diff? And so I think the the concept of these these of this modular system that you can sort of rearrange to produce a different distro, 
I think it's really, really significant, but I also think that, I mean, certainly we're not there yet, but I mean, that's, that's an important thing to keep in mind. Now, interestingly, technically, we kind of already have that in a way. Like, if you downloaded, um, trying to come up with a reasonable example, maybe Debian, back in like, I don't know, 2000 and... How long has it been? Let's say 2008. Let's go with 2008. Uh, Then you could have swapped out your init system with some other init system just through apt. Like, you could just do that. Like, that that's a thing that you can do. Now, if you try to do that and just do an apt remove system D, as as far as I understand that, if it's anything like Fedora, uh, it'll just remove your entire kernel and break your computer. I mean, it's bad. It's not good. Um, or it just won't let you do it. I'm not really sure how they're handling it these days. But it there there's a lot of... Well, yeah, the modularity has, has kind of fallen apart a little bit. Um, and so I think in in 2023 i think we're back to looking at you know like reclaiming that modularity like how do we say i don't want system d for whatever reason and then there are lots of reasons and people will email me and let me know about them um and and i'll just i'll just use run it instead or i'll use this bsd style package like how do we get back to that modularity within linux i mean I think I think overwhelmingly there's a there's a movement towards just not caring about that modularity. Um, I mean Debian and Fedora and I, I think OpenSUSE, although I haven't I haven't tried to swap out the init system on OpenSUSE in a while. They they just it's just like well you know like System D is highly is it performs really well and it's really capable and it has a lot of things that it can do. Let's just keep using that. Which, you know, I don't disagree with. I think System D does perform really well, and it does a lot of things. But obviously, you know, like, obviously that's not a thing that everybody wants. I mean, that's self-evident. Um, and so, how do we keep that? Well, Slackware and, and, and Void and, and, and others are, are kind of helping maintain that modularity, which is super, super important. And, and I don't think that the concept of modularity is at odds with the concept of a main central fantasy world Linux distribution that people then apply diffs to. Because you could just say, like, look, in this model, in this fantasy world, we have the Linux, and if you want to build your Linux with Runit instead of, um, what's the other one? Um, I, I can't think of the other one now. Not systemd, the other, other one. Um, Runit? I just can't think of it. Uh, the, the other one. Then, then you can do that. Or if you want to build your distribution, uh, with, um, all of the slash bin slash sbin directories linked to slash user slash bin slash user slash sbin, then that's fine too, and, and so on. Like, how do you get low-level modularity like that? And I think, I mean, I don't think it's that really hard technologically. It's just, I would love, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I would love it to be as easy as it is for somebody to take an Ubuntu disk and remix it into their own personalized thing, I would love it if there was that remixability just from from Linux. You know, if you just went to the Linux repository and you, you, you grabbed the whole source code thing and then you just slotted in the parts that you want maybe through even just a configuration script, you know, like some kind of uh, a make uh, a script that your make file would then look to, to to know what to compile against and so on. I mean, I just I don't know. That would be amazing, I think. 
uh, and it could lead to a bunch of different Linux distributions that aren't really different Linux distributions. I mean, they, they would still be, they would end up being a Linux with different things you know that 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 run that that make the system go but you could still apply all the diffs for your different desktops and your applications and so on so that's my solution that's that's how it should all work i think and it, you know if, if it's kind of funny no actually you know i was gonna say it's kind of funny because i don't know i mean wouldn't the end result still be the same we'd still have 600 di distributions in the end but actually no you you really probably wouldn't you would still just have because the delivery mechanism would still just be these theoretical fantasy world expansion packs or or, or you know power packs or theme packs whatever whatever um where you know you don't you don't go to the the you, you don't identify with the distribution you identify with wait yes you are running the linux and you w with the run it and uh multimedia maker power pack um or the multimedia maker by um fault x power pack oh no i'm doing the multimedia uh content creator creator power pack by uh Klaatu. and and you know like so you could have all these variations but ultimately it would still be it it's still just kind of it's still just Linux. But is that different? Maybe, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe I just talked myself out of my entire argument. Well, let's just ignore that for now and talk instead about... No, I think it would still... No, no. Because then people, the end user, would still go to the Linux. They would get the Linux and then they would go to the other places for their flavors. And that's how, that that is a different experience. It, you still have to like decide on what flavor you want and you're still gonna get 30 different inputs from 30 different friends about which flavor is the best. So you'll still have to pick, you'll still have to choose, but it's it's still, it's still the same thing. It's, it's a, a singular target with lots of variation rather than 800 different targets with <laughs> very little variation. Yeah, that's it, I think. Okay, I'm going to stick with that for now. <laughs> I'm not convinced anymore, by the way. I, I honestly, I wish I hadn't gone down this path because now the, the, the logic is starting to, to make me doubt myself. But anyway, um, I'm going to stick with it for a little while longer and ignore what I just, what I just said. And, uh, and either way, I did, I came up with a solution, right? The one Linux is one target with lots of variation, whereas our current our current model is 800 targets with just very little variation. That's pretty compelling, actually. I mean, it's partly it's compelling because it sounds kind of you know it's got ooh the 800 target the one target the do 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 do. But I mean also like I th I think I'm I th I think there's some some valid logic happening there. Ultimately, let's talk about package managers. Another thing that we have 800 of for no good reason. Um, and this is, I mean, is this is this my other critique of Void Linux? It might be. It might be the only other critique of Void. One critique was the installer. Didn't love the installer. Let's talk about the X binary package system. XBPS. I guarantee you, if you ever try Void Linux, you will never ever remember that package <laughs> manager name. XB. P.S. You will never remember it. I have been using Void for months now on this this laptop and the spare laptop, and I cannot remember XBPS. I guess it goes to show how rarely I actually install packages. I mean, and that is part of the. I mean, you know, like you kind of install the stuff that you need, and then you kind of forget, and then you you just package manager. What's that? Like I've got all the applications I ever need. Um, so maybe that's part of the problem. But every time I go to do anything package-related on Void, never can remember what XB 
XPS is. It's the worst name for a package manager ever. X binary package system. I mean, could you at least have called it like X binary package manager? So that like, at least I would have like, okay, PM package manager, got it. And then, okay, X binary. Okay. I don't know X binary, but it's just the worst. I mean, BPM, maybe that could be, is that a thing in real life? I don't know. BPM sounds fine to me, but XBPS is what it's actually called. It is written in C, which I don't love, and that's that's the other actual critique. Naming conventions aside, because I mean, heck, if I wanted to, I could alias this. Should I should I go on a 30-minute uh diversion about how the install command should not exist and it should just be an alias to whatever system's package manager uh, actually is being used? No, I will not do that right now. But XBPS is written in C, and that's my critique. Um, if you go to the, the GitHub page, XBPS, you can see the code. So it's, I mean, it's there. It is as Void Linux um, champions several times, or, or notes several times. It's written with a BSD license. I don't know why that matters. I don't, I don't understand um, why you would use BSD license on 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 a package manager but there you go it it does so i guess if you wanted to base a package manager on it and then never share your um changes you could do that congratulations um if you go into the bin directory in their in their um xbps uh in their github repo uh there's a bunch of subdirectories there. So there's xbps-alternatives, xbps-checkver, xbps-create, xbps-fetch, and install, and pkgdb, and query, and remove, and, and so on. So you kind of get a, a an idea of the structure of, well, obviously the source code, but also the um, sort of the way that this thing is going to work, right? You're going to do xbps install, such and such, or you're going to do XBPS remove such and such. So that's kind of, I, I think that's fairly intuitive, especially if you have um, used package managers. Um, and, and, and this is a, I mean, this is a really lightweight critique, I guess, because um, really the system's great. Like it's, it works really well. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, the, the, the thing I don't like about it, I guess, is that it's written in C which, why would I not like that? There's no reason. I, it's fine. It's just coming from Slackware, as I do, um, or rather compare, it's coming from Slackware, it makes it sound like I'm, I've gone over to Void forever. Uh, I've just got this on a spare laptop. I'm using Slackware in real life. Um, comparing it to Slackware, I just, I really love that Slackware's, I mean, I don't, I will be shocked if there is ever a package manager that sort of tops Slackware's package manager for me. I, I just, I cannot imagine what that's going to be. If it's going to be anything, I think it would have to be Arch. Like, that would have to be it, because the Slackware package manager is perfect. I mean, the, 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 the format for the packages, the shell scripts, are, I mean, they're, they're just, I mean, they're, they're one step above, and just one step above what you do anyway to install a package. Like, I'll never forget the day back in whenever it was, when I kind of like, when I understood what Slack builds was actually doing, you know, and you look at a script and you're just like, oh my gosh, like this is exactly what I'm doing on, on my computer to compile stuff from source code. Cause remember, um, I had come, I, I had, I had been on Mac OS for, well, my entire life. Uh, and then like around 2006 ish, let's say a little bit before, to be honest, uh, I started playing around with 
Unix on Mac OS. So I was I was building like I, I was I w- I had gotten to the point on Mac OS where I was booting my Mac OS computer into Enlightenment desktop using nothing but open source apps that I'd compiled from source code. So compiling source code was a thing that I was very, very used to by the time I came to Slackware. And so to me, it was just natural because I had no concept yet of package management. I didn't understand why it was important. I just thought, well, you just got to get a an application on your computer. And so you compile it from source code. And then at the end, you do the sudo make install. And that puts it onto your computer. I never really thought about like, oh yeah, well someday you you might want to upgrade that or or remove it or something, you know? So it's just like, I didn't really think about that. So I was just installing and I was just compiling and installing. Uh, and for the first probably year, maybe two years, I don't know, of Slackware, that's how I did things. I just installed from source code and I installed it. And, and that was it. Uh, compiled source code and installed it and that was it and then when i discovered sort of like what really slack builds was doing which was probably literally the year it came out like slack builds i don't think i don't think it i think i I got probably started on slackware around the same time slack builds was getting up to speed as an official site so like when i realized that all they were doing was the thing that I was doing, except they were writing it down and sharing the scripts. Like that was such a powerful time because a powerful moment because that that enabled me to start making my own installers. And and I I have. I, I make my own installers now. And Slackware's beautiful, beautiful system of just running that script. That that's perfect. That's exactly what I want. You know, like the and the make PKG and the remove PKG and the upgrade PKG. It's it's all exactly what I want. I, I just want the barest interface over the act of compiling source code. Like, that's all I want in a package manager. And XBPS, I think its biggest fault, I guess, is that it is not that. It really is a package manager, and that's just not what I want. Still, after a decade of using Linux, I still don't want a package manager. I just don't want it. Now, there is a thing called xbps Source. XBPS-source is the XBPS, I hate that name, package builder, written from scratch with its two-clause BSD license. This builds software in containers through the use of Linux namespaces, providing isolations of processes and bind mounts, among others. And you don't even have to use root for all of that. So that's really cool. They're doing stuff with, like, like, containers essentially and that's that's kind of the end of my critique like that's really amazing xbps-source so my critique is that it's written in c and that it's actually a package manager and then there's xbps source which because it is uh, written in c and it's a package manager can do really cool things um it's kind of a hard sell to be like oh i don't like this because it is kind of cool i mean it's really impressive um so quite potentially it could be one of those things that's kind of like nice to have available but maybe it wouldn't be the thing that i would use although maybe i would because it's a rolling release void doesn't void doesn't have like a a release right it just it's always releasing and so you're going to need to be upgrade uh, updating uh periodically so i don't know you know i think I feel like I feel like void is being very realistic whereas slackware uh for me at least is being 
idealistic. Like, Slackware is the system I want, but I could see a world where Void would be the Linux that I kind of need. Because, I mean, honestly, like, if, if you asked me today to bring my Slackware system up to current, you know, Slackware current, it would take work, and I'd be a little bit nervous about it. I, I have my Slackware system running exactly how I want it, and, and, and that's great, but I mean, it's also, you know, it's, it's also through neglect. I, like, I, I have it exactly how I want it, part, in part because I haven't gone through and, and rigorously updated things, and I don't maintain all of my, you know, all the things on it all the time. Like, it's just, I, I set it up, a year ago, two years ago, and, and I've been using it, and, and I'm super, super happy with it. And maybe at some point in some in some possible future, I, I might think, well, you know what, I really, I, I need to be able to update frequently, I need to be able to update confidently. I mean, frankly, if that day came, I would just switch to Slackware-Current. But let's assume in this possible future that Slackware has... Um, has, has gone in a direction that I no longer, you know, agree with it or something, Th then maybe Void would be an option, because I could see this working. So as as much as it sort of scares me away to be like, ah, I don't really want the XBPS package manager system that's written in C, and that sort of has a package database to deal with, and all these other things that I just don't love about package management, I can see the advantage. Do I love that they had to come up with their own package manager? No, I think... Once again, I think we have too many package managers. I really do. I think that I, I just wish I, I would. I would. I'd be happy if Void would just use like um, DNF, DNF for for packages, Podman for containers. You're done. The problem there, obviously, is that both of those technologies are highly controlled by a very specific group, and that is Fedora. Except, is it really? Because so many of those Fedora people happen to be employed by this other company. So it's just like, I don't know. You know, so maybe it's really, really good for that diversity that I was talking about, that technological diversity. Maybe it's good that there is an XBPS and an XBPS source, which isn't, I mean, it's not Podman, but I mean, it's, it's you know, using the, the, the namespaces to to containerize things so um maybe it maybe it's a, a positive development and from a development point of view i think it's it's darned impressive either way so i don't know void is is absolutely fascinating to me it really is it's a it's a fascinating system i don't i i think it is a system that like if i wanted to start using it really i would have to it would i would be taking a huge step back i would have to learn more about void to become really comfortable with it like i mean honestly i haven't even installed the desktop yet um it's just it's on a laptop and I SSH into it and I, I I do stuff on it for fun. But I I haven't even like I haven't even gotten around to like oh what are my options for desktop? Which is silly because I do need to, I need to install XFCE on there because I need to start using XFCE more in real life so that when we talk about XFCE on this show I'm prepared. So. I mean, it, it does need to happen, it will happen, but I, I, I have not done that yet. But I've really, really been enjoying Void. Like, the, the, the things to get up and running are, like, the things that you have to learn to get up and running. If you're coming from, you know, if, you, if you're used to one Linux, then learning Void is not, it's not a huge deal. You'll, you'll be able to get up and running relatively quickly. You'll stumble a little bit when you need to start SSH, because you'll think, what, what's the, how do I do a service? You'll stumble a little bit when you, you every time you need to invoke the package manager because you'll never remember that it's XBPS. Um, but I mean, after that, you're just kind of you're well on your way. You're just doing Linux again, 
and that's good. But it's got a lot of cool technology here, and I'm really glad that Deep Geek introduced me to it. Um, and I, I don't know. I mean, I'm one of the cool things about them is that they have a handbook. So if you go to, um, I just went to the wrong link here. Uh, where is their handbook? It's on their, it's it's on their main page uh, somewhere. Here it is in the handbook. There it is. What is your handbook? Oh, it's docs.voidlinux.org/contributing/index.html. I don't know why. Why is that? Here, let's go. Okay, that's weird. That's a weird structure. Anyway, it's. I think if you just go to docs.void. I mean, uh, docs.voidlinux.org. I think that's it. Can we get there? Yeah, that's that's correct. Then it drops you off uh, at the front page, and and they go through just kind of like you know, kind of like FreeBSD and all the other systems. Like what is it, Arch? I think, or maybe not Arch. They just have the wiki, huh? Well, FreeBSD. Then they've got like that handbook, right? And everyone loves the FreeBSD handbook. It's really useful-ish. Um, and this is really useful-ish. I mean, you 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 have to know. You know, like, I mean, it's it's written for Void Linux, so it's it's not like a universal, like, this is how to do Linux, or or this is how to do Unix, you know, this 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 is a Void Linux handbook, um, but it is very complete. It steps you through all the things that you need to do, and all the technologies that you absolutely need to know about. Uh, really, really well done. Uh, highly recommended, if, if you are going to try um, Void Linux. Which I'm not necessarily saying that you should, um, but I am saying that it's, um, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't. I mean, it's it's a, it's definitely an, an interesting distribution to keep in mind. It, it's, uh, I think for a lot of people, if you're, if you like Slackware, I think, I think it wouldn't be far off to say that you're going to like Void Linux. It's it's pretty cool. Why Void over Arch? No reason, really. In fact, there are probably good reasons to go Arch over Void. Um, it's just, I, I literally, I only tried Void because DeepGeek recommended it, and I was I, I was looking for something else to put on this spare computer, and Void kind of fit the bill, and so I, I, I went I went with it. Um, I really need to give Arch a better look myself eventually. Um, and, and definitely Arch, like thinking about fallbacks for Slackware, Arch is definitely way up on the list. Like that's that's been my default like assumption. Like if Slackware goes into some weird direction that I don't like, then Arch would be the place that I would bail off, bail out to. Um, now Void is a contender, but uh, I do need to look at Arch more probably. I mean, I, I, I think I like Arch's package management better but how can you say that if you haven't tried it so like really tried it like you know like lived with it so it, it, i don't know either way void arch slackware it's a great combination to to have out there in the world it's important to have these options and it's cool to see the different ways that all of these options are developed because you know it's like they're all kind of like you can all kind of put them in the same basket but they're they're unique they're different so yeah if you're looking for something to play around with on the weekend or something like that uh take a look take a look at void you might like it you might not let me know what you think thanks for listening talk to you next time
Thanks for listening. My name is Klaatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is klaatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not Klaatu, at mastodon.xyz. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music on bandcamp.com or on gnuworldorder.info in the archive you'll find a music directory containing the album from which this music has been extracted until next time thanks for listening and keep the source open It's a matter of trial and error. It could take 10 minutes or 10 hours.